The Water Values Podcast, the long-awaited Session 90. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my son Joey said, I'm Dave McGimsey, and thanks for joining me. We've got a great show for you today, but first a little uh, housekeeping. Uh, number one, apologies for the long layoff. I know uh, I had indicated it might be a month and a half or two months, something like that. Ended, ended up being three and a half, and I still don't have the gigabyte internet service. I had to get a temporary solution uh, just, just so I could start you know, getting regular uh, internet service to the house. But in any event, the gigabyte internet service is coming soon. And uh, hopefully we can get the library of content built back up and start getting more podcasts released for you. Thanks. So thanks for your patience. Greatly appreciated. I also want to say thanks uh, to all those who have left ratings and reviews on iTunes. Uh, I'm amazed that that uh, we've had three highly positive ratings and reviews come out since the podcast kind of took a little hiatus. So uh, thanks so much, especially a 30 pack of beers. Really appreciate your comments. Uh, and then also, thank you. I need to recognize a couple of people who have been helping behind the scenes. Uh, first off is Lydia McWhorter. Uh, Lydia has been fantastic. She's the graphics uh, person that that kind of puts all the uh, images out there. She prepares them and she does it free of charge. Uh, I've, I'd like to pay her, but unfortunately, as, as generous as, you, as you've been with the PayPal donations, we just don't have we aren't have not been able to cover costs yet. So. Uh, that's another little plug there. If you if you want to donate to the podcast, please uh, please do so. But Lydia has been absolutely fantastic. The images are great, and she does a fantastic job. The other person I want to say thank you to is Veronica Sarah Briakova. Uh, she contacted me uh, and and was and indicated essentially, look, I'd love to help you out and get some podcasts back up and running. And she's been doing a great job uh, helping me out, uh, developing content, uh, thinking about new ways to. Uh, to allow you to access the content and things like that. So uh, to Lydia and Veronica, thank you so very much. You've been fantastic and uh, have been uh, tremendously helpful. So thank you again. Uh, The last thing I have to say is just uh, before we get into this great show is uh, if you have been listening and enjoying the podcast, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes. It would be greatly appreciated and it helps others find us um, because I do think we... We have absolutely fantastic content for you. We have a great range of guests, and uh, it's very important as as water issues become even even uh, bigger issues, which we're going to find out today. Uh, that's kind of a nice little segue into our topic today. Uh, we've got a great show with Erin Wilson of the Wilson Water Group. She's out in Colorado. She's a water engineer and has done a lot of planning around water resources. And today we're going to talk about uh, planning for water resources and, and water use in the light, in the face of climate change. And she's going to, she's got some really unique insights into this. Uh, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. I learned a heck of a lot. I've, Aaron's been a great person. I've, I've known her for a couple of years uh, and I've, I finally convinced her to come on the show. So Aaron, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. Uh, and to the rest of you, get ready for a big treat because you're really going to enjoy uh, this conversation with Aaron Wilson. So with that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, Aaron, thanks so much for coming on to the Water Values Podcast. Really appreciate your time today. Could you uh, start off by telling us a little about your background and how you got interested in water? Absolutely. Um, Dave, and thanks for inviting me. This is 
with this. Um, I had actually planned on water. My, my first degree is in geophysical engineering, so I was going to be in oil and gas. Um, I, actually, I was going to find the next in Crudo Bay, but I graduated in the mid-'80s um, during one of the notorious busts in oil and gas. And so I decided I needed to get a degree in something a little more general, and I went back up to CSU and got a degree in civil engineering. And as a lot of your folks on the, that are listening to this know, civil engineering is a pretty broad degree. You can do an awful lot of things with it. Um, but I got a, a job with a kind of a medium-sized engineering firm after I graduated, and I had the opportunity to do quite a, a wide variety of things, almost all related to water. Um, but different aspects. Um, so I, I was able to work um, on, a, on a fantastic project building Wolford Mountain Reservoir for the Colorado River Water Conservation, sorry, the Colorado River District. Um, and, and on that project, I got to do a lot of different things that helped me really ref refine and decide what I wanted to do with the rest of my career. So I, I was able to do some hydrology, sizing the dam, sizing the reservoir, some hydraulics to um, size the outlet works of the reservoir and culverts, um, even some transportation. We had to reroute US-40 uh, because the dam was inundating the highway, and um, some structural, some uh, design of the out some of the outlet uh, spillways and some of the facilities at the rec area. Um, right about that same time, the company I was with, which was Boyle Engineering, one of the many companies that's now a part of AECOM, um, Boyle Engineering got phase two of the Colorado Water Conservation Board's decision support system project, their Colorado River decision support system. And so I, I started to work on more water planning um, and water rights allocation modeling. And by the time those two projects were done, I'd had enough exposure and decided that my career was, in fact, going to be in water resources engineering. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, real quick, I'm just kind of curious about um, that, that second project, you know, the Colorado River Support System. What, for those, for the, what exactly did that entail? So with the, it, it actually started originally at kind of out of litigation. Uh, Kansas had sued Colorado over the Arkansas River, and the state realized at that time that Kansas actually knew a little bit more about Colorado's water resources than Colorado did. They didn't have a real um, strong database yet to store information, um, and nor did they really have planning tools to use. And so they spent a million dollars to fight Kansas and um, one of the things that came out of that was they said, look, we have to put together a decision support system, which starts with a database. Um, it's called HydroBase in Colorado to store all of our water resources information, so our diversion records, our stream flow data, um, you know, really our GIS information about where our diversion structures are and what irrigated acreage they divert to if they're an irrigation structure. Um, and so that was sort of the first part of it. And then the next phase was, well, let's build models that use this data so that we can understand the information in our own basins. Hmm. That sounds like a pretty robust data set there. It's, it's fantastic. And they started on the Colorado River, um, partially because um, there's the complexity of the Colorado River Basin is not quite as, as difficult as the other basins. So they could deal with the water rights issues um, without having to deal with a lot of water right changes like we've seen in the South Platte and the Arkansas, and they didn't have to add the complexity of groundwater to begin with. So they put together 
um, a system that had a consumptive use model so they could look at what is our crop consumptive use in the basin and then a water rights allocation model which could really look at how how do the water how are water rights allocated and how do everyone's water rights affect the ability to develop new water okay um and so i'm sorry uh, in terms of uh uh proceeding with with uh your your kind of background you 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 got through these these two big projects the Colorado uh, River to Support uh, Decision Support System and then you um uh what happened after that um so i stayed with with Boyle at the time for about 10 years, and then I decided I really wanted to focus more on Colorado water rights. And so I went to Leonard Rice. I was an owner there. I was there for 13 years. And I, my focus, I still worked on a lot of the decision support systems. At that point in time, the state moved to the Rio Grande, added the complexity of groundwater um, to, to their portfolio of modeling tools. So they, they developed a mod flow model and interacted that mod flow model with their consumptive use and surface water model. And then, um, at, while I was still at Leonard Rice, we started on the South Platte, which added the complexity of water rights change cases to our modeling efforts for the state. Um, and then, more importantly, and the, the strong reason why I wanted to go to Leonard Rice, I got to really work on Colorado water right issues, change cases, so more of the detailed water court type of, of work. Um, and then I was there for 13 years, and uh, just a little over four years ago, started my own firm here at Wilson Water Group. Oh, terrific. Uh, so so one of the questions I had kind of coming into this was like, what's a water engineer do? And I think you've given a very good, you know, high level of there's there's various niches for these for water engineers to kind of fill. Uh, let's talk about kind of what exactly uh, the, the niche that you're filling this and, and you you kind of touched on it in terms of water court and Colorado uh, water rights law. So what what are you doing within that niche? What when a, when a client says, "Look, I think I have a water rights issue uh, that needs some engineering work." What are what are they looking for? Right. So yeah, so I kind of look at what I do in in sort of four categories, and the first category is exactly what you're talking about, really water rights support, and what it includes is is really performing the technical analysis to support water right applications and changes. So it's you know from first would be determine whether there's water availability for a new water right. Um, quantifying historic use of water if we're going to change a water right to a different use, looking at exchange potential if we want to change a water right to a different location, making sure we can't we don't injure any other water users between the original location and the new location of the water use. Um, we do demand projections as part of the water court process to assure that there's non-speculation of a potential you know water right application. And then, of course, after the technical analysis, we support the clients and engineers through the water court process. Sure. Um, okay, that, that's, that's a perfect uh, explanation. What about, you know, a lot of those things, um, it seems like you're going to be drawing on, for example, some of the data that you put together for the, the, the Colorado River Decision Support System, at least if you're working in, in that basin, right? So, right. And, and that, they're, every, they're always... Uh, adding data and and creating more and more robust sets of data for that, so that it tells me that we're not living in kind of a uh, static system, right? There's there's constantly change uh, going on regarding you know the availability of water and things like that. And so, you know how how do you how do you deal with planning for 
uh, you know, future water supplies and things like that when you're living in that dynamic dynamic stage. And I think you know where I'm going here in terms of my next question is going to be kind of like, well, especially in the face of climate change, how do you, how, when you layer climate change on top of all this, how does, how, how does, how does that make your job difficult and what do you do to plan for it? Right. So um, we have, we have a range of clients, our municipal clients, municipal industrial clients, you know, helping them plan for their future water demands is very different than how we work with our agricultural clients. Um, but, but, the decisions port system, some, you know, this is really key uh, to a lot of what we do, especially for our municipal clients, because it's really important to remember that um, the, the ability to develop water anywhere in the state really depends on everyone else's water rights and how they're using their water and how they will continue to use their water, which is why these modeling tools are so important, um, because especially when you're really trying to develop for a, a growing municipality, you can't look at things in a vacuum. You have to look at the basin as a whole because of our, the way our water rights system works. The senior right could be anywhere in the basin, and you can't, you know, you can't just look at the water flowing across your, you know, across your head gate and say, I'm, an, I'm entitled to it because it's there. And so these tools really help us understand how everyone else's water rights and their use affects the ability for us to develop additional supplies. So that's, a, you know, that the decision support system is something um, that we use a lot, not just the modeling tools, but the raw data, because that's really where the, the power is. Um, so when we're planning for um, our, our future growth of our municipalities, um, we're always using these tools. Um, and in fact, we finished, um, we, we completed last summer two of the Colorado's basin implementation plans, which supported the, the state's water plan that they published right before Christmas this, this last year. And what we looked at for these basin implementation plans was what's the gap in the basin? What's the future demand? So one of the things we had to look at was demand projections. What's the likely growth? What's the likely uses? And match that to supply. And the best way to do that really is to be able to use some sort of a planning tool like these decision support system models. Um, the ag users are a little bit different, um, primarily because what we're looking for for our ag users is not future future use, but how do we shore up their existing shortages and potentially shortages that might happen in the future due, due to things like climate change. Um, and then the last thing that we look at a lot for planning for our municipal, industrial, and ag clients is interstate issues. Um, because as our demands increase and our supplies become more variable due to climate um, changes, uh, it's more important and we have a lot more pressure to meet our obligations to the downstream states. So our firm does a lot of interstate planning as well. Sure. And, and so in terms of, uh, let, let's focus on the municipalities and, and the municipally owned utilities that are looking out, especially where, you know, in your neck of the woods where, the growth projections are off the charts, and and uh, in the in the face of climate change, that means you know through through other guests we've had onto the onto the podcast, essentially uh, runoff is going to come faster. There's not going to be uh, so that means it's going to come earlier. It's going to change the seasons in which that that runoff occurs. So and so how how uh, are these municipals municipal municipalities and their utilities? really coping with uh, a lot of this uncertainty? I mean, what are they doing to 
uh, plan for climate change, or, or, or and and how do you factor that into your models? Right. Um, so we were fortunate enough to be involved in the very first climate change study. It was actually performed in Colorado by the Colorado Water Conservation Board that really looked at how will potential future um, supply, so climate change-based runoff and supply, um, affect affect water use really at the local level. Um, so it's called the Colorado River Water Availability Study. It, it, we completed it about six years ago. And um, one of the things it looked at, which we still haven't gotten to with any other studies, is specifically how does it affect water rights and how does it affect storage and how does it affect ag use. Um, and so it was sort of an infant. It, it was in its infancy. It was a very early project. And then right after that, Reclamation did a, a study of the entire Colorado River Basin um, where they really were focusing on how does it impact the ability to meet compact obligations and how does it impact Lake Powell and Lake Mead interactions. And we were involved in both of those projects. And one of the things that came out of those projects, um, and our, our, our clients relied on the information that came out of those clients or out of those projects, one of, one of the issues that came out of it was the variability was so large that it was very difficult for our clients to get their arms around it. So at that time, we had 112 different climate projections which we had moved down into actually what it would look like as runoff in the Colorado River Basin. And our clients were having, a, we were, frankly, we were too, and our clients were having a very difficult time understanding how do we plan for this huge variability. And one of the questions that they asked a lot, and not only they asked it, but their city council asked it and their board of directors asked it, is, well, which one is most likely? And we all know that when you, we're looking at climate projections, all of them are equally probable or improbable. We, we don't know. And climate, you know, the, the climate um, change and climate models right now are kind of in their infancy. This is a pretty new science for us. And so we were all excited about um, the next round of climate models, which, were, which came out about two years ago now, hoping that they would hone in a little bit more on specifically how it affects runoff and precip. And it turned out to be even a broader range. So what <laughs> we're finding is that our clients have stepped back a little and said, okay, we're having a difficult time planning for these future scenarios because, you know, we really, we really can't plan for now. There's 234 plus 124, and we can't plan for all of these scenarios that, that the range is so broad on. And so what they've done is they've stepped back and looked at climate change a little bit differently. And this has really just happened in the last probably two years. One of the things that all the climate models agree on is it's getting warmer. It's likely to get warmer. What they don't agree on is what that's going to do to impact precipitation and runoff. Um, you know, I have a, a, a climate scientist friend of mine who always says if it gets warmer, um, there's going to be more evaporation and the water has to come down somewhere. The problem right now is we don't know where. And so what we're finding that a lot of our clients are doing is stepping back and, and looking at climate change a little in a little bit simpler approach. So they're saying, instead of looking at all these models, let's look at what would happen if we had the same historic, same historic um, precip that we've had in the past and the same variability with climate, but it's two degrees warmer and three degrees warmer and four degrees warmer. 
and they run them through models that show if it's warmer, the runoff changes in timing, but they're not actually changing the preset value. So they're keeping one thing constant. So they might have three or four different warming scenarios to plan for, um, and then that makes it a little easier for them to get their arms around it. And then they can look at those, say they have four different futures as far as warming goes, which results in four different futures as far as water supply goes, and they say, okay, those are our four potential futures, and we're going to map them against our four, maybe four demand futures, and then we're going to look at options that meet all of that matrix, all four by four matrix, the best, and use those options as we move forward in our planning. And I'm pretty sure that was way more complicated than I meant it to be. <laughs> no, no, but it's a complicated <laughs> issue, right? And so, um, so I'm, I'm sorry, I kind of cut you off there. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. It's just that it's a, it is a complicated issue, and we're all trying to figure out how to make it simpler so we can just get our arms around it. Yeah, do you... You know, I was I was interested to hear, hear that the uh, climate models came back in even greater variability, kind of the second go around. That that to me is uh, it's not what I would have suspected, um, because at least the literature that I see, it it seems to me that when when they are uh, running these climate studies, it, it it seems to be that the world's actually getting warmer faster than we thought, and so you, I would have thought it would have been concentrated at one end of the kind of the bell curve. Right, uh, and it is. I, I think that the, the one thing the climate models agree on is that it's getting warmer. And that, so that's why we're stepping back and saying, let's just look at the variation in temperature. The thing that the climate models are not agreeing on is what that warming trend does to precipitation and where the precipitation is greater and where it's less. Okay, so that's, that's, that's good. So that's where the variability is coming in. It's on that back end rather than the, rather than the front end. So it's just... Um, I need to go back to statistics and learn the regression analysis, you know, in terms of uh, <laughs> holding one variable constant. Um, well, well that, so when, when you're advising all these, these clients, we started off talking about kind of the municipals. Uh, what are, are you hearing common questions from each sector, industrial, ag, municipal, that you're, are, are the questions con consistent across those? I mean, they're obviously worried about water supply, but what, how, how do the questions that those clients ask differ from one another, if I think, at all? Um, yeah, no, that's, I, I, that's a good, that is a really good question. I, I think the, the questions that our, our industrial municipal providers are asking, sort of the power generators, they're, they're fairly similar, but they're very different than how the ag users, our ag clients are reacting to climate change. Um, our ag users are, are, appear to be less concerned, and primarily, I've, I've just decided this is my editorial on this one, is it's just that they live with risk every single year. You know, they have, some years they have a great water supply, some years they don't. Some years they have flooding, which ruins their crops. Some years they have hail damage or insect infestation. And so they have, for their entire you know, life and the life of their parents and grandparents have just lived with risk. And, and if, if their crop fails, people don't, people don't die. People, I mean, it's, it's a very different for municipalities where if they don't have enough water, we all don't have enough water. And so I, I think that, that, that it's, it's just interesting that our ag users, you know, they kind of shrug, yeah, it's getting warmer, we'll live with it, because in a lot of ways they, they live with all of these risks every day. 
You know, that's an interesting observation. Is it is it possible that that is because you know they have insurance to cover some of those risks, so they aren't, so they're a little uh, immunized, I should say, from the actual end end dollar value that that's that climate change is is imposing on them. I I think that might be some of it, but even when insurance doesn't cover, you know, they 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 know the difference between a good year and a bad year, and that's just something that that they expect. And I think, you know, I mean, it's very different for a municipality. They can't, they, they can't have this risk. I mean, they can, they can weather some droughts, and they have drought contingency plans, but they, they can't just say, well, if it gets warmer, we can't supply water. The, if, if there's a, a limited supply, the farmers can say, we just won't water all of our, we won't plant this year. We won't, we won't do all of our crops. Or, okay, well, we, we may not have enough, enough hay for our cattle, but we can buy it somewhere else. They have a lot more. They have, I think they have a lot more options and, and can be a little bit more flexible. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think you're absolutely right that the the municipalities and, and the industrial water users need more certainty in their water use. So I think I think you're onto something there. Um, in, in terms of these climate change models you're looking at, how, how uh, you know we've we've talked a lot about kind of the surface water, you know, runoff and things like that. Uh, what about groundwater? Is there a, is there a connection that the these these modeling efforts have shown between uh climate change and how it affects groundwater versus surface water so you know that's and i'm glad you asked that question and i'm glad you told me you were going to ask that up front you know it's interesting there really have been a lot fewer analysis that look at the impact of climate change on groundwater Um, so people haven't really been focused on it at this point and again remember that climate change is pretty much in its infancy at this point. We're all still trying to get our arms around what it means and how we plan, how we plan for it. But I have some, um, I do have some opinions of, of how I think the interaction between groundwater and, um, and surface water will, will occur. Um, well, well, please share. Climate change, but we really have not seen any, any, um, any studies to help us with this. But, you know, part of my thought is, okay, we know, we know that we have greater precipitation regardless of temperature. So if we have greater precipitation, again, the big if, because we don't really know, um, we'll, we'll likely have at least the same or more um, bedrock aquifer recharge. So, you know, we have for, for, for aquifers that are not connected to the river, we'll have probably the same or more recharge that we have right now. Um, but if we have greater precipitation and the surface waters surface water users can't take advantage of it we also may have um a bigger draw on bedrock aquifers so it's it's it may it may go both ways so say it does rain more the aquifer recharges more um but we don't see the same rainfall showing up in the in the rivers when we need it it's then they're likely to draw where municipalities are likely to draw more on the groundwater table um, as far as the aquifers that are connected to the river, um, you know, there's uh, the, agri- the aquifers that are connected to the river, the alluvial aquifers, they essentially are filling up when there's high flows or irrigation recharge, right? So that's, that's their connection to the river. And so, you know, if the, if the runoff is less and recharge is less because the irrigators are, are not using as much water or being more efficient in the way they use it, then the aquifers are clearly going to suffer. So I don't, you know, the, the studies haven't been out there, but kind of fundamentally, we, we get what'll happen if there's more or less precip. Hmm. 
Hmm. And so is, is, uh, how does storage factor into all that in terms of, and I'm not talking aquifer storage, I'm talking like reservoir surface water storage. Uh, you know, because, because obviously if, if, if precip does increase it, at least my, uh, my layman's thought is that, uh, more storage would be needed in order to hold that, hold that water back for the times of, uh, demand. Right. And so what we what we've seen with with the change in temperature, which we've been living through, right? We it's been temperature's been increasing. Um, all you have to do is pull any any climate station to see that, that temperature has been increasing over the last fifty years. But what we what we think we're seeing um, is that stream flow is much more variable with that increase. So we we, we some years we've had just an incredible a lot more runoff than we did in the past, and it just doesn't seem to be as consistent. So um, there will likely still be times in the future when we have high runoff, regardless of what the temperature and the precip does, and and we will be more reliant on storage. Um, and I think that we all kind of get that. Um, there may be a tipping point. I mean, if we get to the point where we have, so say, say precip really does decrease in our area in in the Colorado in Colorado, um, we will get to a point where we may not have storage may not help us anymore, right? If if we don't if the the demand is greater than supply, storage doesn't help regardless of when it comes. Right, right. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, it, it's also an interesting question in terms of um, the you know the the west slope versus the front range. Um, and how, how, you know, is, is one side of color. And for those who don't know the, you know, West slope, that's obviously West of the Rockies front range is, uh, you know, for East of the Rockies is Denver and that kind of, uh, the corridor where all the, the cities there are at the, essentially the foot of the mountains. Right. So, um, how, how are there differences between front range communities and West slope communities in terms of how they're looking at climate change issues and water supply? Right. So, so remember that most of the, or, or for your users who don't know, or for your listeners who don't know, most of the front range municipalities rely on both water from the front range from the east side of the divide and water from the west side. So up and down the front range, all of the municipalities, um, the big municipalities have what we call transbasin diversion. So they take water out of the Colorado River Basin because in Colorado, that's where the greatest supply is. Unfortunately, the greatest demand is on the east slope where all the growing municipalities are and where the good, you know, the, the more flat, better ag land is, so in the South Platte and the Arkansas. Um, so, you know, the, the, all of our municipal clients along the front range really do have to look at how would climate change and how does just annual supply forget climate change, how does it vary between the front range and, and the west slope? And so they're, you know, in a lot of ways, they're in better shape because they've sort of, they have, in a little ways, they've hedged their bets. They didn't do it on purpose. But what we're seeing when we look at some of these climate projection models is that the front range and the west slope are not always in sync or in phase. So we may have drier west slope. You know, the Colorado River may be drier in, in years when there is more um, precipitation and more runoff on the east slope. So, you know, by... You know, I don't think that it was intentional. They weren't looking at climate change in the future, but their diversification of supplies um, is really turning out to be beneficial to them as they look at future planning. 
Okay. In- terrific. Interesting. So, um, uh, good observations there. Now, uh, you know, as we kind of come to a close of our interview here, uh, Aaron, I, We've covered a lot of ground, and I really appreciate the time you've taken to explain it in in kind of a format that most folks can understand. So to the extent I've left anything out, what have I I left out? What questions do you think I should have asked that I haven't asked so far? If any. Um, No, you've asked great questions, and I really wish I had better answers about the groundwater-surface-water interaction. And I think that that's something that's going to need to happen in the future is really try to look at that. And I wish I had a better definitive answer about what – <laughs> what precipitation is going to do as as the the earth warms up um one of the things i think it's we all should remember is really climate the the, whole, the climate modeling and the climate change um science is so new that i think in the future all we can expect is to get better so it's like every other kind of new science we're all finding our way and we're all hoping that you know 10 years 15 years from now things converge a little bit more and we can do a, we can better predict what we think we're going to see in the future um, but right now it's so across the board that it is it really is I want to leave with that it is very difficult for our clients to plan for it and which is why we're stepping back and looking at climate change a little bit differently than um, what do the global models tell us sure and, and I think that just highlights kind of the the that you're, it's we're we're living in a dynamic situation. There's a lot of flux, and so uh, to me, that just that's that's the the biggest takeaway is that there there are so many possibilities, and because we are early on in this this process of of figuring exactly what the, the ramifications of climate change are going to be, that it's just hard to hard to do. Uh, right. well, and the other thing I want to stress, which I didn't really, I, I didn't expect you to really us to talk a lot about the Colorado Decision Support System, but Colorado is in a really a good position um, to be able to use their tools and their models to look at all kinds of future scenarios, which is really um, just uh, you, just so you know, um, it's not common. Other states on the western part of the United States do not have a robust um, decision tools like the Colorado Decision Support System. And so they're, you know, in a lot of ways, they're the envy of our neighbors. And we work in other states as well as Colorado. And boy, it sure is nice to work in Colorado where the data is available and the models are available and everything's transparent and public. Yeah, I, I put my chip in there for the CDSS. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I think that just, uh, I don't know if you've heard any of the podcasts or I've, I've mm-hmm. I, I, Charles Fishman, I think, is. He's not a water guy per se. He's a journalist, right? And but he he I think he brings such a unique perspective to all this. Um, and and his big thing was, you know, data is going to unlock the next frontier of water innovation and water planning and all this. And and so the more data you have, the the better off you're going to be. And I think that's just it. It just kind of highlights what you you mentioned about the this, the Colorado uh, River Decision Support System and the, and the the data sets that are available there. Well, uh, Aaron, you've been absolutely great. You know, I I've, I learn a lot every time I talk to a guest, and you're no different. You're fantastic. Uh, where can folks go to find out more about you and about Wilson Water Group, should they so desire? Right. Um, so we have a, a website, WilsonWaterGroup.com. 
Um, and we, you can learn about our staff, some of our really exciting projects that we're working on, and you'll start to put some pieces together when I was talking about this client or that client. You'll probably figure out who they all are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do have a good staff. you got really good people that work for you, I've, uh, having known some of them through Colorado Water Congress and, and mm -hmm. otherwise. So you, get, you do have good staff. So, Erin, uh, thank you again for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, okay? Thanks so much. Okay. Thank right. you, Dave. You bet. Bye. Well, that was Erin Wilson of the Wilson Water Group out in Colorado. Uh, as you can tell, she was fantastic. She's got a lot of experience, and um, she's the incoming president of the Colorado Water Congress. We had a little conversation after after the recording, and, and I've known Erin for a couple of years, and and uh, that's a great – it's well-deserved that her, uh, her ascension to the uh, president's role of the Colorado Water Congress, and so I'm just very thankful that she – uh, took the time out to come speak with us because she had, I think, some very important things to say. And so, Aaron, thank you so much. Uh, and I hope you all enjoyed it. And, and in terms of takeaways, uh, I've got two of them. The first one is the levels of planning that each of the economic sectors that we kind of uh, talked about, uh, how, how they were planning for climate change or how water resources in the face of climate change. And obviously, you have the kind of the municipal utility sector uh, and then you have the industrials and the ag sector, the three main ones we talked about. And, and as you kind of parse between those, the municipal utilities and the industrial sector, those are the ones that, ha that need the greatest amount of certainty. And therefore, they're the ones who are probably expending the most resources uh, trying to figure out exactly how this, how, how water resources are going to be impacted by climate change. As, you know, as Aaron said, everybody agrees the temperature is rising what we don't know is what's going to happen to precipitation. Uh, so that's the big uh, question that's that's kind of still out there. And I thought it was very interesting, Aaron's comments on the agricultural community and how uh, they're the ones who just kind of kind of roll with climate change. They're the ones, they're used to uncertainty. They deal with it every, every day, every year. Uh, and so they are the ones who uh, don't seem to be as worried about it. They're not expending, at least they're not expending the resources uh, to plan for it because probably they, they don't have the need for the certainty that the industrials and the municipal utilities have. So that's one takeaway. The second takeaway concerns uh, the modeling uh, for climate change and what that looks like uh, and how, how, you know, she said the range of outcomes is pretty substantial. And then the more data you get, the range is even bigger, and so they've kind of backed off a little bit, and they're they're reevaluating how uh, how you know what these climate change models look like, how what are, what are the inputs going to be, all these all these different things that uh, are creating all this uncertainty, and they're working hard to figure out you know what's what's the way we can tweak this model the best to give us you know a, 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 a smaller range of outcomes. So. Those are the two big things, I think. The, the differences in how the various uh, sectors of the economy are, are look, planning for water resources in the face of climate change and uh, the, the spread in the, in the outcomes, the difference in, and the number of outcomes in what the models have predicted have caused people to back off a little bit and kind of uh, take a broader view and just and do some general planning things. So th those are my takeaways. Uh, Please let me know what interested you about the podcast by posting a comment on the show notes, which will be uh, posted at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 90. Uh, you can email me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can tweet at me at DTM1993, or you can tweet about the podcast, excuse me, uh, using the hashtag watervalues. I appreciate your support by spreading the word and your patience 
uh, for the amount of time it's taking me to get to uh, another podcast release. But uh, you can spread the word about the Water Valleys podcast and provide an honest review on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, whatever uh, podcast directory you're using. So I really, would really appreciate uh, your rating and review. Well, in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so join me by going out into the world and acting like it. Listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning into the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Colorado and Indiana, and this podcast does not establish an attorney client relationship with you or anyone else. And information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.